0: All right. often wonder what am I going to tell y'all that you don't already know? Y'all have been around so long and come to church so favorably, you, you know everything in the Bible. Some of you probably can quote it by memory. But I'm always trying to figure out, now what do I think they could, what, it could help? But going along the lines of a little bit of, of this morning, um, I want you to take your Bible and turn to the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews and chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. And I uh, thought it was kind of strange. I walked out of the office, I walked down the aisle here, and I walked over there to see Al, and he says, You look like you've been chastened. What? (laughs) He says, You have that look on your face. And I had been thinking about the word chastened. That was the title of my sermon tonight. And then he says that. So, I look like I have been chastened. He's it was along a line, something like that. And I thought, he had been reading my mind. And, you know, I don't like it when somebody can read my mind. So, um, anyway, here in the book of Hebrews, it is the chapter on chastening. And you need to understand this chapter. It is something that every child of God should be aware of. It's simple. That a man cannot live as he please and get away with it. Now you and I cannot always tell when a person is being chastened. That's also very difficult, because it could be just like a regular trial that you go through, and consequences of decisions, and though at the time you may not even think that they're bad decisions, and you're trying to serve the Lord and make them good decisions, and uh, somebody else is going through exactly the same thing you are, and with one, he has been blessed. And the other one is being chastened. Same kind of trial. And so um, be careful when you automatically speak up and say, Well, I know why this is happening to them. They got sin in their life. Boy, you may miss it by a mile. And uh, if you prejudge and you're wrong, God may let that happen to you. So he does warn about that. Now, we know in chapter 11, it's talking an awful lot about men of faith. Men of faith. Those who... Heard the word and obeyed, and God put him in his hall of faith chapter. So that's wonderful. But not everybody obeys the Lord. Not everyone will choose to live by faith. So going from those who obey to those who disobey. Those who have been blessed and those who are being chastened. So you have those that dividing line right here in chapter 11 and chapter 12. So in verse 1 of chapter 12, he says, Wherefore, seeing we also are encompassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down on the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him, verse 3, that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest you be wearied and faint in your own mind. And there's a good warning. Lest you become weary and faint in your own mind. You ever get discouraged? You ever get down? Get tired of being faithful? Tired of going to church? Tired of reading the Bible? Tired of the responsibilities that you have and You wish it could just all be over? Is your reason for wanting the Lord to return because you just can't wait to see him or to get you out of this world? You don't have to answer that, it's just a, you know, something you just kind of think about. Why do you want the Lord to come back soon? Are you running from something? You're hoping somebody doesn't get you? You're afraid of the IRS? Is that old devil a lion after you? You want to get home before you fall? I preached a sermon years ago called Getting Home Before Dark. Getting Home Before Dark. I want to get home before it gets dark. You know, before I start walking in the dark, I'm I'm supposed to walk in the light. But I also know that their old devil is always tempting. And you've got that old sinful nature. And, Lord, I, I want to get home before it gets dark. Before I... Go astray and walk in darkness. Now, you stop and think about it. Don't you want to get home before dark? Yeah, I would venture to say you do. And so we sometimes think, Lord, I I want you to come back. And I'd love for the Lord to come back soon. And I think of all the things I'd like to do. And, uh, Lord, if you could hold off just a little longer. It's like there's so much work to be done. But, you know, that's not going to be in our hands, Lord can come back at any time. But he says, consider him. When we think about what we go through sometimes, he says, consider what he went through. But he was faithful even unto death. And now it's talking about us and why we should be. So he says here in verse 4, ye have not yet resisted unto blood. In other words, you're not dead yet. You're not dead yet. So you may resist against sin. The Bible talks about raise up a standard, a wall against the flood of evilness that comes. Resist the devil. Resist evil. Lord, looking for somebody that can stand against the the wicked one, the wiles of the devil, and all the things that goes on in the world. So even though it gets pretty bad, we're supposed to still stand. But he says in verse 5, And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children, My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. So there's things that happens in our life that causes us to, you know, lose hope and become filled with despair and wondering if we can continue to go on. Do you ever live with that certain little fear that some temptation is going to get you and you're going to fall? You're afraid of falling? Afraid of bringing shame upon the Lord, shame upon yourself, shame upon your family, and you just don't want that to happen? There's some of these little fears that can be good fears, because that's what causes you sometimes to walk a little bit more circumspectly, a little closer to the Lord, because you don't want to fall. And the best way to keep from falling is to keep your eyes open and keep them on the Lord and keep focused and keep doing what's right, and to guard your thoughts at all times. But he says here, my son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. Now, when you read these verses, understand that God sometimes goes to the Old Testament and uses scripture to help us understand something in the New Testament. And you'll notice when you go over there to verse 16 and 17, it goes all the way back and talks about, you know, Jacob and Esau and what he did in How that he would have inherited the blessing, but he didn't. And uh, even though he sought it with tears, but it was too late. But this was after the fact. And so God wants us to think of afterwards. When you think about doing your own thing and going your own way, think about afterwards. Or after you do that. After you fail. After you fall. Do you realize... You could have prevented that. You didn't have to do that. But most people, they forget, as he said up there in verse 5, you forgot, you forgot the exhortation. So we're, we're supposed to watch every step. And so I want you to see just a few verses in the Old Testament that relates to this chastening idea, because here's the children of Israel that had rebelled against God, and God looked upon Israel as one man as a child and refers to them as Israel as though it was just a person. And he says, I, I've warned you and I've done so much for you and yet you're sick from the head to the toe. And he says, I'm going to bring in an enemy and they're going to chastise you. And so the chastisement was on its way. But you can learn something from all the chastening that God did upon the nation of Israel. Uh, there's still a people. In other words, they're not annihilated. It's like teaching us eternal security. Once you're His child, you are His child forever. So turn in your Bible and look at this in Jeremiah chapter 2. The book of Jeremiah in chapter 2. Behold your place where you are, because we'll be coming back there. Jeremiah in chapter 2. Now I know these are not as familiar with you as all the other verses in the New Testament. But there's a few things that are here that I believe can can help us a little bit. In Jeremiah chapter 2, look there in verse 19. Verse 19 says, Thine own wickedness, Thine own wickedness, shall correct thee. You see, when you do something that's wrong, sometimes you'll find out You can learn a lesson because, well, I did this, and that was bad, and I don't like the results, and it can correct you because you don't want that same thing to happen again. And thy backsliding shall reprove thee. Know therefore and see that it is an evil thing and bitter that thou hast forsaken the Lord thy God, and that my fear is not in thee. See, God wants us to have this fear of God that God can chasten us any way he wants. We're free to choose and obey or disobey, and if we disobey, we can choose whatever sin we want to do. But God is free to also chasten us any way he pleases. And he gives us personalized attention. Just know that you run a risk of receiving something you're not going to like down the road. Always think about down the road. And knowing that the decision that I make today is going to affect tomorrow. Ray Stanford put it like this. Your future is being determined by your obedience to God today. Your future is being determined by your obedience to God today. And so sometimes we're going to reap later on in life the results of seeds that we've sown years before. And so... Just hold your place right here in Jeremiah, because I want to come back to it in just a second. But I want to read this verse again to you. Where it says, My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. Then he says, For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. Now think about this. Did God love Israel? Does God love Israel? Did Israel love Israel? obey God all the time. So there were times when Israel did not obey God. And when they did not obey God, did God chasten them? And because God chastened them, that means He no longer loved them. No. He still loved them. He loved them with an everlasting love. And it was so true. Now look there in Jeremiah chapter 5. Look in Jeremiah Chapter 5 and verse 3. Jeremiah chapter 5 and verse 3. And you'll notice where he says in verse 3 O Lord, are not thine eyes upon the truth? Thou hast stricken them, but they have not grieved. Thou hast consumed them, but they have refused to receive correction. They have made their faces harder than a rock. They have refused to return. Now, because God loves us, is it possible that God could chasten us? And the chastening, instead of softening our hearts, can harden our hearts. And God's children get bitter toward God and despise God because of the consequences of their own sin. Think about that. And sometimes it doesn't matter what God does, they won't listen. So, because they refuse to accept God's correction, God's going to have to bring in another nation as a rod upon the people, and they're going to be destroyed. They were taken into captivity. But God warned them in advance. Now, I do believe that all of God's children should be warned. That yes, you are his child, and you are his child forever. But understand, there is a price to pay in rebelling against the will of God. That your heavenly Father, who loves you, will chasten you. And he chastens every son whom he receiveth. So, you go back there and look there at this verse. In the book of Hebrews, in chapter 12. Where it says again in verse 6. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. Now, you say, well, that's a one way of uh, a sign of those that believe. Well, this is a sign of God chastening somebody, but other people can go through exactly the same thing, so you can't use it as a proof text about who is and who is not a child of God. But understanding that all of God's children will be chastened by the Lord. But you can't always tell... Well then not does that mean that everybody who has a problem, they're being chastened of God? No, you can be doing right and suffer consequences for doing right. And then sometimes you do wrong, and there's consequences to pay. So go back there to the book of Jeremiah. Go back to Jeremiah and look in chapter 25. Jeremiah chapter 25. Jeremiah chapter 25, this is on page 798 in the Old Schofield Reference Bible. And look there in verse 7. In verse 7, he says, Yet ye have not hearkened unto me, saith the Lord, that ye might provoke me to anger with the works of your hands, and you ought to underline those last few words, to your own hurt. Remember, I preached a sermon not long ago on praying a hedge of thorns around somebody. A hedge of thorns. Hosea talks about a hedge of thorns. So that your decisions get you into trouble. Your decisions will hurt you and get you back to the Lord. So everybody is tempted to go astray. All we like sheep have gone astray. But when you get saved, that's not likely anymore. Or is it still possible to go astray? We still go astray. So God puts a hedge of thorns in order to hurt so that you don't keep doing it. You get back to the Lord. The reason God has designed life in such a way, and if people don't understand how God works, they take everything he meant for good for something that's bad. Have you ever had children and you try to correct them and chasten them or discipline and you talk to them and use psychology and philosophy and everything you can think of and they only harden themselves even more? Now, I know nobody here has ever had kids like that. But it is possible, you know. Even from good old Christian homes, it's hard for some people to learn their lesson. So sometimes you have to let them go, turn them over to the Lord, and God will deal with them. And that's uh, sometimes a good thing. To do. Now, you'll notice back here in this verse where he says, If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? So if you're a child of God, shouldn't you expect your heavenly Father to chasten you? And yes, he will. He will chasten you. Uh, while we're in the Old Testament, look in Isaiah chapter 66. Isaiah 66. And there's a verse there that I think is uh, a little appropriate for this. Isaiah 66, and look in verse 4. Isaiah 66 and verse 4, he makes this statement. I also will choose their delusion. Now, why did he say that? Well, because the verse right before it, where they said, I will choose. You see there, look there in uh, verse 3. He that killeth an ox is as if he slew a man. He that sacrifices a lamb is if he cut off a dog's neck. He that offereth an oblation, as if he offered swine's blood. He that burneth incense, as if he blessed an idol. Yea, they have chosen their own ways. In other words, these things that they've done were so wicked, it was an abomination to God. It was as they did the most wicked thing, and yet they think it's all good. But it's not. He even talks about in the New Testament where their lips, they praise him, but with their hearts are far from the Lord. And so he makes a statement since they have chosen their own ways. I also will choose their delusion. In other words, the consequences of their choices. So God is alive and well on planet Earth, too. And if the Lord is alive and well, then you know the devil is here because he's in everything. And because God has allowed us to make choices, good choices, bad choices, consequences, I also will choose their delusion and will bring their fears upon them. Because when I called, none did answer. When I spake, they did not hear. But they did evil before mine eyes and chose that in which I delighted not. Now, isn't there a verse somewhere in the Bible that says, If we delight ourselves in the Lord, He will give us the desires of our heart. Psalms 37, 4. But in Isaiah chapter 58, He also makes the statement on delighting yourself in the Lord. So here in this verse, it's important to understand, you make the choice. Like He says in verse 3, God makes a choice in verse 4. So a lot of things you may go through life and experience because of decisions you make that you didn't think was going to be that bad. This is why we are supposed to really think through all of our decisions, to discern, to really think what's the consequences of what I'm doing. And God wants us to, to do that. But while we're right here, just look in Isaiah 58. Just a couple of pages back to your left there. And you'll notice this uh, in verse 13 and 14. But verse 13 says, If thou turn away thy foot from the Sabbath, from doing thy pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy of the Lord, honorable, and shall honor Him, not doing thine own ways, nor finding thine own pleasure, nor speaking thine own words, do you see anything there about your own, your way, and all that? Then he says in verse 4, then shalt thou delight thyself in the Lord. You cannot delight yourself in the Lord going your way. It means that you're going to go God's way and do what God wants you to do and make the decision God wants you to make. And if you do, then he makes this statement. I, in verse 14, I will cause thee to ride upon the high places of the earth, and feed thee with the heritage of Jacob thy father. But forget it. What I'm going to do is because of what you're doing. So there's a God in heaven that's looking for somebody with some faith to believe what God says. And you act upon that, and God's going to react to that or respond to that. If you rebel against the Lord, then God is going to respond to that. So you see, of maybe a lot of things in your life you don't have to face and go through, but it's because of your own decision. And most people want to blame, 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 blame everybody else instead of maybe looking in the mirror and says, you know, maybe you need to make some better decisions. Did you know that even one thing that really upsets God and makes God a little mad and angry is the sin of murmuring. Murmuring is the same as complaining. Ugh. Nobody like that here. We don't complain, do we? Do we complain? We don't complain. And you'll read that in the book of 1 Corinthians in chapter 10. Because they murmured, God sent snakes among them. And these were examples for us that we will not do the same thing. But lo and behold, we do. And so those things are mentioned there. Uh, Let's go all the way over there to the book of Numbers the book of Numbers, chapter 27. Numbers, chapter 27. You'll see that there's many scriptures that God refers to them as His people. That, see, like in verse 14, ye have rebelled against me. You rebelled. In verse 15, And Moses spake unto the Lord, saying, Let the Lord... And get this, the God of the spirits of all flesh set a man over the congregation which may go out before them and which may go in before them and which may lead them out and which may bring them in. Get this, that the congregation of the Lord be not as sheep which have no shepherd. There's many people today that have no shepherd. They don't know what to do and how to live. Can you believe this? The other day when I was talking to that girl down there at the, the beach, and we just got in and got out of the little boat, and, and my grandson says, Papa, you need to talk to her. So I uh, proceeded to talk to her, and I asked her the question. I says, are you sleeping with this man? She says, yes. I says, you know that's wrong, don't you? It is? It is? I thought, don't you know that? Evidently, she, never, she didn't think about it. I think it's a lot of people, they just do what they do because that's what they want to do. And there might not have been anybody who's ever taught them, you know, that's wrong. Or they get to the place where, you know, well, everybody does it. And they've never been around somebody that says, that's wrong. Well, by the time I got through talking to her, she knew, that's wrong. But some people have no shepherd. And a lot of people go astray, and when you go astray, you go your own way, and you get into more trouble. This is why, why do you think the devil wants to keep as many people as possible from coming to church? Because you don't have to hear the word. If you don't hear the word, you won't stay as sharp. You won't stay as keen. You will not be as discerning. And you'd be surprised. He can lead a person because they have no shepherd. So a lot of people, they may trust Christ as Savior, but never knock the doors of a church, never get involved, never do anything. But there's a price to pay. Ignorance is not bliss, that's for sure. Now go back there to your Bible, Hebrews chapter 12, and realize that God is going to chasten, and He's going to chasten every one of His children. And in verse 8, but if you be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are you bastards or illegitimate children and not sons. So God chastens all of his children. And he says in verse 9, furthermore, furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh. Now, why is he saying all of this? Because all the way through the book of Hebrews, there's warning after warning after warning about leaving the true and living God going back to the temple, going back to the law, going back to the sacrifices, going back, going back, going back, and he's warning them. And because they're God's children, your heavenly Father is going to chasten you. And so he's warning once again. So he says here in verse 9, Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? Remember that verse we just read over there in the book of Numbers, chapter 27? That he is, even back there, he's the God of all spirits. Now here he's talking about he's the Father of spirits, because we're talking about in this family, the family of God. And so in verse 10, For they verily for a few days our earthly parents would chasten us after their own pleasure. Now I never knew that they got such pleasure out of whooping me. But it says they did it for their own pleasure. Now, sometimes, you know, you have to be disciplined in order to correctly discipline. Johnny, that's the third time I've told you that. You do that one more time, and I'm going to whip you. So Johnny does it two or three more times, and Mama never does whip him. Is she training him? She's training him all right, but she's training him that when she says it the first time, that means nothing. When she finally throws something down, and she stands up and goes get a belt or a paddle. Now, now she knows she means business. Now, yes, ma'am, yes, ma'am, yes, ma'am. And so you give respect. When my dad looked at me, oh, I straightened up quick. All he had to do was look at me. Have you ever had a child you can look at him and it meant nothing? You could threaten their life, and it doesn't mean one thing. And then some of them you can just look at them, Give them the eye. Betty used to have what we call the evil eye. Can give you an evil eye. And she could make one eyebrow go down, and the other eye go up, and this eye go up. And then when she did that, them kids knew, I'm in trouble. Show them how you do that, hon. So turn around. Show, them. Show them. Show them. Show them. Turn around. They can't see you. Stand up here and turn around. They got to see what you're doing. So... But them kids know that run for your life. Run. That's... So she could you know, give you that look, and that's the look she gave me, and it killed me, just slain me. But anyway, for in verse 10, For they, verily for a few days, chasing us after their own place. Because they're, sometimes they do it because they want peace and quiet. So they finally correct you because I've had enough. I've had enough. It's not for their advantage or something like that. Because to discipline correctly, you have to always do what you say you're going to do, and when you say you're going to do it, and do it. But a lot of times, most parents, they don't do that. It's just whenever you've had enough and don't want to know more of it. And I finally had enough. Well, you should have just spoke the first time. And that was it. I had it to where my kids knew when I said something the first time, that's it. I'm not saying it twice. And selective hearing didn't go with me. Now, I use it sometimes today because I can't hear it. Like this morning when he sung that song and said all those wonderful things, I never heard a word he said. I want him to write it down. And, and No. But as we're moving right along here, look at the next part of this verse. But he, talking about the Lord for our profit. Why does God chasten you for your profit? He's thinking about you. He wants the best for you. But you've got to remember this. Remember, some of these are things that are for us to learn and to teach other people. Whether it's kids in camp, or kids in ranch, or Sunday school, or wherever, we got to teach people these truths that are found in God's Word. Get this, that we might be partakers of His holiness. In other words, your response will reveal His holiness, or your wickedness. So you are to straighten up and fly right. You ever heard that phrase before? Now in verse 11, now no chastening for the present seems to be joyous. I've never had one of my kids enjoy getting a whooping. And when I was growing up, I can't say that I recall jumping up and down with joy. Oh, I jumped up and down. But it was not with joy. Mom, I am so glad you're beating the tar out of me. Oh, that feels good. Can I have another one? No. We don't like to be chastened. We don't like to be rebuked of the Lord. We don't like being told no, and you can't have that. But God says Down the road, it brings something. And if you'll always remember that the decisions you make today, down the road is going to reap something. If you sow wild oats while you're young, what are you going to reap when you get older? Wild oats down the road. If you sow cotton, you're going to reap cotton. It's whatever you sow, that's what you're going to reap. So he says, then most people, they sow whatever they want and then pray for a crop failure. But here in verse 11, now no chastening for the present seems to be joyous, but grievous, nevertheless, endure it afterwards. It yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness. In other words, the reason for God correcting you is to exercise His fatherly privileges of chastening and disciplining you so that you'll be the kind of a child that God can be proud of. And God wants to be pleased with us. It's not just that this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. These are my children in whom I am well pleased. And so he says in verse 12, Wherefore, stop being down in the dumps. Stop being so discouraged and so in despair. If your heavenly father has to chasten you, learn your lesson as quickly as possible. Wouldn't that be a good idea? Whatever it is, correct it quickly don't prolong it. And I I found out if I quickly said, Mom, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. You know, she didn't hit me as long. But if I was defiant, it took a lot longer. That day I went to see Mr. Pellegrine down in the basement in the boiler room. And I says, he's not going to make me cry. He will not. And he already took Nick Orange and Stripped him down and took a paddle and cleaned, picked him up with that paddle and slammed up against the wall. You said they didn't do those in those days. Yes, they did. I was there, an eyewitness, and I was the victim. He looked at me and says, "Drop them. Can you believe a teacher telling you that? I remember my sisters telling me how that they were beaten with rubber hose in the boiler room. Rubber hose. Kids were scared of this teacher. I had only heard of his reputation, but now it's for real, and this is fixing to happen. I had just declared, I'm not going to no boiler room. Next thing I know, I'm in the boiler room. And he took a paddle, and it had holes in it, drilled in it. And he took that thing, and he came back, and, buddy, he picked me clean up. And it was so hot, it was burning. And I says, he's not going to make me cry. And I go, my teeth." And on the second one, it came loose. <laughs> Did it hurt? I couldn't sit down for several days. My little backside was blistered, buddy. And afterwards, he even had more of my respect than he had before. I, I, Nick Orange, I wouldn't even look at Nick Orange. He, he got me in trouble. Everybody's always getting me in trouble. I'm never guilty. They, they just do things to get me in trouble. But anyway, it's the peaceable fruit that comes as a result of your yielding to the Lord. And therefore, he says in verse 12, Wherefore, lift up your hands which hang down, the feeble knees, make straight paths for your feet, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, and lest it, let it rather be healed. Follow peace with all men and Holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God. God's going to work in your life, but let Him work. When you do something that you shouldn't do, let God instruct you. And sometimes God will rebuke you through somebody else. Sometimes it might even be the preacher up here preaching. Sometimes it might be your mom and daddy. Sometimes it might be your husband. It might be your wife. You'd be surprised. You can be rebuked from a lot of different angles, a lot of different people. And sometimes they say things and it hurt and cuts. Just listen. Just listen. You may learn something. Might make you even better. And so strive to be the kind of a person God wants you to be. And you'll find out that, yes, God chastens, but he chastens because he loves you. He chastens you because it's for your profit. Because God wants something better for you. And if you start going the wrong direction and making the decisions, God's going to let some things happen that maybe try to wake you up. Sometimes God can just speak in a nice, soft voice, and then sometimes a two-by-four over the head. It all depends on just, are you tender-hearted or hard-hearted? What will it take? And maybe God will have to take you home, and you don't want that to happen. You don't want to go home in the dark because you were rebellious and the had to chasing you. You want to go home because you've been walking in the light And that's why he says, my little children abide in him, that when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him and his coming. Or to be taken out of here and you have to go to heaven and face the Lord and be ashamed. And you don't want that to happen. Look up here. This hand represents you and me. The wallet represents sin. We all have sin on us. God loves us. Now he hates our sin, but he does love us. And for us to go to heaven, we have to be perfect. No sin. No sin. But none of us are perfect. We're all sinners. We've all done things wrong. And God says to pay for sin is eternal separation from God in hell. And he says you can't earn eternal life. You can't work your way to heaven. Nobody's good enough. He said it's not by your works that you have done. This hand represents Jesus Christ. He's the Lord. God in the flesh came into this world because he loves us. He hates our sin because our sin separates us from him. So Jesus Christ, who had no sin, didn't have to die. But he took our sins and died in our place. Came back from the dead and said that if we'd believe that He did that for us, He would give us as a free gift, eternal life. We go to heaven on what Jesus Christ did for us. That's free. That's a gift. So our going to heaven is free. It has nothing to do with how we live. But after you trust Christ as your Savior and you're God's child, how you live will affect your life here and your eternal rewards. But going to heaven, that was a gift. And that's what caused us to be a child of God. And he became our father. And when he becomes our father, he has the privileges of a father. He owns us, lock, stock and barrel. You know, this morning when we was doing communion service, and it says, do this in remembrance of me. But what is that main thing do you think we should remember? And as you study through the book of 1 Corinthians... It appears that, remember, this is what bought you. This is how I bought you. I took your sins and gave my blood. I did this for you. I own you. You belong to me. And we should never forget, always remember, he bought me. He owns me. I'm his. And so what I do... Reflects upon him. Let's pray, shall we? With heads bowed, nice closed, and no one looking around. If you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, I pray that you would. So if you already trust the Lord, you'd never have to do it again. But maybe you've never trusted Christ as your Savior. And so if tonight, for the first time, if you've never done it before... You say, that made sense to me, and I want to make sure I go to heaven, and I will trust Christ as my Savior right now. If you'll do that, would you let me know just by slipping your hand it very quickly? I'm not going to embarrass you, not have you forward. But right where you are. If you're watching by internet, right where you are, just simply trust Christ as your Savior. Believe that He paid for all of your sins. You can't earn it, you can't work for it. It is the gift of God, and He'll never cast you out and never lose you. He gives you eternal life. And you can say, I know I'm going to heaven because Christ died and paid for all my sins. I pray that you will. And if you do, right on the screen says, yes, I will trust Christ as my Savior. Our Father, we thank you so much for all that you've done for us, for giving us your word and helping us to understand some of these sometimes difficult things. But they are clear in your word. We understand that salvation is always free and that service can cost us everything. We just pray for wisdom. Give us a good week. Pray for the church. And just uh, bless all the things that are going on. And thank you for all you do for us and for our ministry here. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.